0: Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I got to tell you, um, obviously, this has been an interesting week, and uh, the whole Caminetti family is preparing for tomorrow. And uh, as Ryan said, really appreciate all your prayers for them. Uh, And that is also why I'm standing here tonight and not Pastor Joe. Uh, A few days ago when his mom passed, he asked me if I could go ahead and fill in for him tonight. And so I'm going to talk about fasting and prayer. But I'm going to confess to you that I have a love-hate relationship with fasting and prayer. I love the results, but I hate doing it. (laughs) You know, so I'm human. I have a flesh. And uh, I'm never more aware of my flesh than when I'm fasting. So anyways, tonight we're going to attempt to kind of get into this topic of fasting and prayer and uh, just kind of dig down a little bit into it and see what it's really all about. And one of the things that um, Pastor Joe wanted me to mention to you guys, first of all, he, he wanted to give you all of his love, but he mentioned that uh, he's very excited about kicking off this series this Sunday called Goals. And so this series is going to be dealing with the things that we all spend most of our time around. That's our relationships, our careers, our finances, Family, etc. And it's not just about setting your goal, but it's about seeing it happen. And so that's what we're going to try to answer with this series. So we want you to be here uh, this weekend when we kick that off. Anyways, tonight I'm going to be talking about prayer and fasting, and that's what we're going to be doing corporately as a church for the next 21 days. And our hope is that everybody will jump in at some level that works for you. So I can remember a a while back, probably a few years ago, uh, my wife works in Youngstown, goes to school in Youngstown, and uh, one morning I had to take her to work, and uh, she told me about a certain road that she tried to avoid at all costs, but for some reason that morning we had to go down that road. I don't know why, but now I know why she wanted to avoid it, because that road had more potholes than asphalt. It was two lanes, and I'm doing my best to dodge all this, but right, you can't only go so far here without hitting someone. And so every so often, I'd hit one, and it would go wham, and I always react like this. When I hit a pothole with my car, I go, oh. It's like it hits. Can you guys relate to me at all? Guys, can you relate to me? It's like, oh. Ladies, are you the same? Do you kind of do the same? Yeah. It feels personal. It's personal, man. So, you know, what, what you find out is if you drive on roads like that enough, One day, just do yourself a favor when no one's around, no other cars or other people in the car, pick a very flat road, you get your car going, and you let go of the steering wheel, and what happens is your car will steer itself. It'll pull to the left or maybe pull to the right, but it doesn't go straight. And when that's your situation, the thing that is the remedy for that car is a front end alignment. So once you get that done, you can take that car, put it back on the same road, get it going, let go, and that thing will go as straight as an arrow for an awful long time. And so that's a solution for a car. Here's what I found out about me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but over time, as I'm taking this path or this road that God has me on, I tend to hit some potholes, I tend to go through some stuff. I tend to get a slightly distorted view sometimes of what's going on in my life. And without even realizing that it's even happened, suddenly I find that I need an alignment, but I need a spiritual alignment. Because somehow God's priorities and God's uh, best for my life has been sort of put to the side and I'm kind of going where I shouldn't be going. And so one of the things that happens when we fast and we pray is it allows God to sort of realign us and recalibrate us and get us in step with what he's doing in our life in this season. And so that's one of the things that's going to be happening for the next 21 days. But I want to take this passage. Many of you could quote it. It's just Matthew 5, 6. And Jesus said these words. This was the biggest sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said that we have a spiritual appetite or a spiritual hunger, if you will. And if we feed that thirst and we feed that hunger, there's a blessing and that blessing is being filled with all the fullness of what God has for our lives. But here's one of the things that I know. I know this because this is me, that that spiritual hunger doesn't always get fed the way it should be. Why is that? Well, like a little kid, how many you know that little kid, and you've raised kids, they'll go to the cupboard, and what do they want to do? They want to they snack on what? Junk food. And you catch them nibbling on all kinds of junk food. And what happens come dinner time? Are they hungry? No. They've nibbled on a bunch of stuff that has no benefit for them. We can do the same thing spiritually. We can try to fill this hunger and this thirst that God created in the spirit of every single person on the face of the earth. We can try to feed it with other stuff. Like for me, I know for a fact that can be too much TV at times. Sometimes too much food, like over the holidays, I pretty much just threw caution to the wind. I just said, yeah, I should just have it. (laughs) Like, I deserve this, you know. I'm going to go ahead and eat everything they put in front of me. I'm not even going to complain. And so it could be whatever. It could be too much TV, too much food. It could be, you know, too much shopping. It could be too much time on social media. I mean, you fill in the blank. And those things in and of themselves aren't wrong. But when we're using them to try and feed something that only God can feed, it doesn't work. And I love what this uh, author here, Richard Foster, said, his book, Celebration of Discipline. He said this, he said, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and we cover up what's inside of us with food and other things. Listen to this, fasting reveals the things that control us. What does that mean? When you enter into a moment of fasting and prayer, you will find out real quick who's in charge. And what this is saying is you're going to find out who has the steering wheel in your life. Either you've got it, Jesus has got it, or something else has got it. But somebody's got that steering wheel, and fasting will reveal it. And I'll tell you how, if you don't know the difference between your spirit and your flesh, just fast. And you'll find out real quick, because usually my flesh will say something like this. Let's just say I'm arbitrarily going to go on a three-day fast. When I have passed up the first meal, I will hear a voice and will say, Thus saith the Lord, you have achieved your goal. Everything is accomplished. You can end the fast right now. I'm like, I don't think that's God. I think that's something else. And so you find out who's in control. But here's another thing he says here, that sometimes we cover up what's on the inside of us with food and other things. Well, let me break that down into our language. How many of you have ever heard this term used when somebody is dealing with an addiction? Maybe that's the result of a trauma in their life or some, something horrible that's happened. Don't we often say that they're medicating? You ever heard that term? We're medicating? What are we doing? Medicating with what? With food? with drugs and alcohol, with you name it, the list goes on. What are people doing when they medicate? They are trying to mask the pain so that they can't feel the pain and try to live with their life. And how do know that's not a good solution? In a sense, when we try to fill our life with other stuff, it kind of masks that spiritual hunger that God created on the inside of every person on the face of the earth. And we're sort of medicating so we don't have to really pay attention to that hunger or listen to that hunger. And it's very, very easy for that to happen, even to people who really want God's very best like you guys in this room tonight. So we can end up medicating. One of the things that Jesus said is that the desire for other things or the desire for stuff has the ability to choke out the effectiveness of God's purpose in our life or what he wants to do in our life. So it's good to be aware of that. Listen to what John Piper says. He says, the issue is not food per se. The issue is anything and everything that is or can be a substitute for God. So one of the things that fasting and prayer can help us do is bring our life back to a place of alignment with the priorities of God. And I like to say it this way. This is something that I found out a few years back. And it's simply this. When you say no to one appetite, you say yes to another. When you say no to one appetite, you say yes to another. And fasting is a way to increase your spiritual appetite. Fasting is a way to rev up your spiritual metabolism like nothing else. It's amazing saying no to one thing. Helps us say yes to something else. And look at this quote right here. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than anything else this world has to offer. And when you look at fasting in the history of God's people and the church, it is throughout our history. For thousands of years, whenever the church or the people of God have faced impossible odds, Impossible situations when they didn't know what to do. The one thing they did know to do was to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God by prayer and fasting and cry out to God. And again and again and again, history records that it changed everything, that it allowed people to overcome, that miracles happened, healings came, deliverance came, sin, obstacles, strongholds, all broken through the power of prayer and fasting. So I'll tell you what, it's part of the overarching history of the church. It's bigger than just what we're doing in these 21 days. This goes back thousands of years, and it will continue beyond until Jesus returns. It's a huge part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus. And I already mentioned this, but one of the main reasons why this is so powerful is And, of course, there's so much on fasting that we can't get into tonight. But one aspect of fasting and prayer is it says in the scriptures that I humbled my soul through prayer and fasting. There's something about humbling yourself under God's mighty hand that allows God to move in a powerful way. Because it says when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand that he pours out grace. He pours out his ability. He invades the impossible With His grace, we step into a place of possibility when we pray and when we fast. Here's the biggest thing I want you to catch for these next 21 days. What you give up makes room for you to fill up. What you're going to choose to say no to is going to create room for something greater to come into your life. And by the way, I want to just say this up front. This is not about... Earning something from God. Please understand, fasting and prayer is not about you trying to earn something from God. It's just about really becoming super focused, laser focused, and going after it. So I want to go to the gospel of uh, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at a passage here in just a second. And what we have is we have the disciples of John the Baptist... And John the Baptist is a great prophet. He is the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit fell like a dove. God's voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And John said, that is the man. He's the Messiah. His disciples heard him say that. But now he's in prison. And these guys are checking this Jesus, this Messiah out. They want to see what he's all about. And so one of the things that happens is they start to make observations about lifestyles. And unlike the Pharisees, it leads them to a question, not to trick Jesus, but they really want to know something. And so they asked Jesus a question in verse 14, and it says this one day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he asked a simple question. Let's think about it. You're invited to a wedding, and at that wedding, should you be celebrating or fasting? Think about it. I had two sons get married last year. Both weddings were incredible. Both weddings were different, but they were so much fun, and the only time I ever dance in life is at weddings. Me and all two of the moves that I know get busted for every song, you know? I'm good for like two moves, and that's it. I fake it, but I have a great time. And you know, when I was at their weddings, I mean, I danced for probably an hour, two hours. I mean... I ate whatever they put in front of me. Every time there was a toast, I was in. When the cake came, I said, Yeah, bring it. Now, how many of you know if I was at my son's weddings and I was sitting down, all of a sudden they brought the food, they brought the cake, the toast, and I just push all that away, and I'm kind of looking like this. And then they, they asked me to get up and dance. I'm like, No. They're like, Why are you not doing that? Because I'm fasting right now, man. I'm fasting. How many think people are going, that dude is weird. That guy is weird. There's something wrong with him. Why? Because it's not appropriate to the situation. It doesn't fit the moment. And Jesus is saying, listen, he's asking them a question. <clears throat> Can you fast at a wedding when the groom is present? No, of course not. It's inappropriate. But then he says, but... When the groom is taken away, and that's a reference to him being pulled away violently and crucified, when the groom, and the groom is Jesus, is taken away, then they will fast. Not just for three days, but look at the history of the church. Well beyond those three days, then they will fast. Here's what this passage lets me know. The key to interpreting and understanding this passage is in fact the groom. Because if the groom is present, we don't fast. If the groom is taken away, we better fast. If he's present, no. If he's gone, yes. Well, why is that? Think about that with me for a second. If you were a disciple of Jesus and you didn't have the money to pay the temple tax, what do you do? Hey, Jesus, should we pay these taxes? Yeah, Peter, go throw a hook into the water and pull out a fish with a couple of coins. Hey, Jesus, we can't cast this demon out and get this kid healed. He takes care of it. Hey, Jesus, do you mind waking up from your nap because we're about to drown? He gets up. What does he do? He rebukes the storm. Hey, Jesus, you just taught a really cool parable, and I have no clue what you just taught. Can we have a little remedial time here? Can you help me understand what you just said because I don't get it. And Jesus is like, yeah, here's what I meant. But guess what? When he's taken away, they're just like you and me. They can't just walk up to him over breakfast one day and say, hey, what did you mean yesterday? Or can you help me out? They can't do that. So what? When he's gone, when he's gone, guess what? You're going to hit some potholes. You're going to go through some tough times. Some of you are going to go through some betrayals. Yeah, that comes with the turf sometimes. You're going to have people do things to you that you never thought they would do. You're going to suffer persecution at times. You're going to be in the test and the trial of your life, which may not be over in one day or one week. And in those moments, we still need to say, Hey, Jesus. But one of the greatest ways to say, hey, Jesus is through prayer and fasting because prayer and fasting's primary purpose is to find the presence of Jesus Christ, to find him, to seek him. And so it's amazing to me that he lays this out for us like this. Now, he's not done, and he's going to go on and by the way, he's not breaking his train of thought here. He's still answering their question, but he's going to give them another example now. Let's go to verse 16. Besides who would patch old clothing? Do people even do that anymore? Do people put patches on clothes anymore? I remember when we grew up, man, come on, seriously. Anybody here from the boomer generation? Sorry, we're talking old school here for a second, but you can learn something from old people. But Anybody grow up where you know your parents took you to Sears to get your school clothes for the year? And if you got a hole in your knee, your parents didn't run to get you a new pair of jeans? What'd they do? They sewed a patch on. You guys know what I'm talking about here? So he's saying, hey, you can't take an old piece of cloth and sew something new on because when it shrinks, it's going to tear it. And then he goes on and says in verse 17, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure spilling the wine and ruining the the, wineskins, ruining the skins, new wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Now, I'm going to get into that in a second, but he hasn't broken thought here. But let me give you one more scripture. Just think about this for a second. How many of you like me would say, there's more about God that I don't know than I do know? Like there's so much more of him that I don't even know. And the more I know him, the more aware of how much I don't know, I know. John 16, 12 says these words. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. You know what I believe? I believe that God has so much more that he wants to say to every person in this room. I believe God has so much more that he wants to do for every person in this room. But let's be honest, sometimes we're not ready to hear it. We're not ready to hear it. We're not ready to receive it or experience it. And part of what prayer and fasting does is it allows us to stretch a little bit, it creates capacity for more of what God has for us. And so when you think about it, he's saying, hey, what is he saying in essence? The old is not compatible with the new. And what is the new? Jesus. What is he saying? If I try to dwell in you, live in you right now, you can't handle my glory. You can't handle my holy presence. You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to receive what Ezekiel 36, 27 says. You're going to have to receive that new spirit. And that new spirit will be able to handle the new wine of my presence. That's what this is about. It is all about and all revolves around the presence of Jesus Christ. See, I believe that in you and me, there's the capacity for more. Look at what Ephesians 3.17 says. It says, and this is a a prayer that Paul prayed all the time. And I pray that Christ, listen to this, will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. What does more mean? More increase more and more at home where hold on think about it I pray that Christ will be more and more where at home in your heart that means there's a capacity for him to be in our heart in an even greater measure or more at home in our heart and here's what I mean by that my parents are awesome people I love my parents like no one else they're amazing Such awesome people. My mom is going to turn 82 this year. My dad's 85. I love these guys. Talk to them every week. Can't wait to see them this year. And I can guarantee you one thing I know about me. I'm going to roll up into their house next year when I'm there. Hold on, next year is here. This year when I'm there, I'll roll up. I'll sit wherever I want in that house. I'll walk over to the fridge. Open it up and go, yeah, I think I'll take that frozen snicker bar right there, because I know they always stock them. And I, I'll take that. I think I'll watch this program. I think I'll take a couple of laps in the pool and then just sit in the jacuzzi and just bake like a lobster. You know, I'll just kick back here. And you know what? I don't ask their permission to do any of that. I own that place. What do I mean by that? They love me. And here's what I know. I'm always... I mean always welcome in my mom and dad's house, and I love being there. I know I'm welcome. I know I'm wanted. Jesus Christ is in the heart of every believer, but he's not at home in every believer. You see the difference? And this prayer says that we can have the capacity to make him more and more welcomed into our home. I I think there's a lot said in the passage, Revelation 3.20, that's spoken to the church at, at Ephesus where it says, Behold, and this is written to Christians, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and we'll hang out and have dinner together. We'll fellowship. I love that says he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks, but how many know he doesn't kick it open? He waits for the invitation. It's all about inviting him to every part of our life. So I believe that what you give up over these next 21 days is going to make room for you to fill up with more and more of Christ. And that is a game changer. And that, will change everything. Let's look at one more aspect of of prayer and fasting before we close out this message tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says, When you fast, do not be sad-faced like the hypocrites. I was actually trying to figure out what that actually looked like. I have no clue. But it says, Don't be like them, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. I assure you they have received their full reward. So let's just stop right there. When these people fasted and prayed, their purpose was to make sure that you knew they were fasting and praying. Like, I want you to know I'm doing something very spiritual here, and I want you to be aware of it. And the fact that you're aware of how spiritual I am makes me feel really good. So they're going after the praises of men. And Jesus is talking about how to fast the right way and how to fast the wrong way. He starts out with saying, don't do it the wrong way. Don't do it to make somebody think you're something that you're not. That's what hypocrites do. Then he talks about the right way, and he says this. But when you fast, take a shower and wash up. Put your makeup on, do your hair, put your good clothes on, so that no one except your heavenly Father, who is there in the secret place, may notice your fasting. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I love this. Jesus said these words, when you fast, not if you fast. Jesus makes the assumption that if you are his follower and his disciple, you're going to fast. He made that assumption about you. And so he says, when you do this, I want you to make sure that you do it the right way so that whatever you're praying and fasting secretly, the Father sees it. Not only does He notice what you gave up so you could fill up with, but He's going to reward it. He's going to attach a reward to that. And so that's an amazing truth right there. And here's what I know about rewards is there's stuff that I absolutely couldn't do without and had to have that's now in my basement or I gave it away years ago. Anybody relate to that? You just had to have that? You died to get that next greatest, latest thing that was out there on the marketplace, and then after a while it loses its its bling, if you will. God's rewards never lose their value because they always carry eternal impact. And so it says that He's going to reward us, and He doesn't exactly say what these rewards are, but I believe that one of the rewards, if I just look at the history of prayer and fasting, one of the rewards is what? An answer to your prayers your prayers being answered, being heard on high. I can tell you this, I remember during um, 2015 when we did our um, corporate fast and prayer time here at Believer's Church, there were some petitions that I put before God, and that year went by and they didn't happen, but you know what, last year, these were big petitions, I watched them happen last year, and that came during a time of prayer and fasting, and It's amazing what can happen when we do it the right way. God says that he will reward it. And I just want to say something to you here. It's like when you fast and pray, it's sort of like turbocharging your prayers. It's like prayer on steroids. It it is. But can I just be blunt and honest with you? For this reason, I want you to have everything that God wants for you. That's what I'm going to say, what I'm going to say next. I want you to have everything that God wants you to have. And here's, What you need to know, there are some rewards of the kingdom that will only be connected to your times of fasting and prayer. This reward is specific to prayer and fasting and nothing else. There are some things that you and I will never receive if we don't ever enter into that part of our discipleship. I say that to encourage you to say that God has more for you. God has some things that he wants to do for you. And as I mentioned before, I have a love-hate relationship because there's times that prayer and fasting is completely uncomfortable. Like when you turn your television off and you say, I'm not watching, and I'm I'm just talking about me. When you turn your TV off and you say, I'm not watching anything, I'm not doing social media, I'm not doing anything for the next 21 days. Guess, Guess what? I'm not used to that quietness. I'm very uncomfortable with it. It makes me fidgety, but you know what? It doesn't allow me any longer to mask my spiritual hunger. Now I've got to face it. I'm no longer medicating. Now it's getting real. And all of a sudden, God starts to show up in ways that he hasn't shown up in an awful long time. It's not all fun, but I'll tell you what. It's very rewarding, very rewarding. Let me just tell you one reward and then we'll try and land this plane. Um, several years ago, this was our habit. When Lori and I pastored our, our church in Southern California, we did, we did this every year. Um, we varied the lengths of our fast anywhere from, I think we did anywhere from like seven days to 40 days. Um, and, and We were serious about that time. And remember, we were in one of these fasts, and it was a Saturday morning. And Lori and I were uh, at the altar of our church, and we were gathered with a group of people and just praying. And um, I got a phone call from a frantic mom who was a member of our church. She she waited till it was morning. Bless her heart. She didn't call me in the middle of the night, but she waited till it was morning and she called me. And she said, uh, "Pastor, she said, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. My daughter." Amber is, she's a 15-year-old girl. She said she's in ICU right now. She's in an induced coma. And she said last night her 16-year-old boyfriend, uh, who's the son of an LAPD officer, decided that without a license he'd take his dad's car, a muscle car, I believe it was, and take it out on a joyride and bring his 15-year-old girlfriend along. And uh, they neglected to strap their seatbelts in. And they were doing 60 miles an hour when they hit a telephone pole. And that car was just a piece of twisted metal. They had no way to get them out. So they brought out the fire department, brought out the jaws of life, and they literally cut this metal. And they cut away a car and they extracted from that car these two pieces of body, two pieces of meat that were there. And the first thing the officers said to the mother is, It's amazing um, that your daughter is alive. Like, that's a miracle that she's actually breathing right now. And They rushed her to ICU, and they said, Look, ma'am, we don't want your hopes to get high because the level of impact here, we have no idea how much brain trauma has happened. You know, there's all this swelling going on. We don't know if your daughter will ever see again. In fact, one of her eyeballs is shoved so far back into her skull. We have no way of examining that eyeball. We don't know if she'll ever walk or talk. We don't know what to tell you. And so we ran over there and we we cried out, you know, to God, in that ICU room. Put our hands on this young girl and prayed. And we had a whole church fasting and praying. And um, this was a young girl who I believe loved God, but wasn't really going after God. Do you know what I'm talking about? She loved God, but she wasn't really pursuing God. And when they finally decided to bring her out of this coma and she came out of her coma, the first thing this girl saw was she saw two angels standing on either side of her bed. Now that shouldn't surprise us as Christians because Psalm 91 says he's given his angels charge over us to protect and preserve us in all of our ways. It also tells us in the book of Hebrews that many of us have actually had encounters sometimes with angels and not even known about it i think i might have had one or two of those i'm not going to say that i have but you know i always used to say to people i can't prove to you that you have had an encounter with an angel but you can't prove to me that you haven't because sometimes you entertain them and you don't even know it how about this that he's given his angels uh that they're ministers to those who are the heirs of salvation in other words the angels of god It's like the Old Testament. Some things in the Old Testament are void and null, but some things are still very functional. Jacob's ladder, where you saw angels ascending and descending, I believe what that means is angels go into heaven. They take assignments and they come back to earth. Where do those assignments come from? Well, look at the book of Daniel. It says, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart. The angel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to know the answer, I was sent in answer to your prayer. His prayer caused God to release a message in the hands of an angel and bring it to his son. Now, we have the Holy Spirit. But listen, I'm just saying, it shouldn't freak us out that she saw angels. She saw angels. And then about a year later, I looked out one day, and there in the back of the church, she was sitting with her mom. And you know what? She was walking, talking. She had zero brain damage. Zero brain damage. The only way you could tell she was in that accident was she had a scar, a pretty big scar that ran across her face. That, my friends, is an incredible reward that I will never forget. I'm so glad we said yes to one appetite and no to another because that was so worth it. And that's our challenge to you. Where can you jump in? Where can you jump in? And here's what I want to just say to you as we close this out there's a couple ways you can do this and I want to preface it by saying this when I was in my early 20's every time I attempted to fast and pray I failed miserably and, and I, I failed so miserably that I'd get really condemned and here's how it would work I'd go I'm going to fast Lori and I'd go past lunch and then about like by 1.30 or 2 I'd eat about 3 meals to make up I was so hungry I was like I'd eat like 3 meals and I'd feel oh, I can't do this Well, what happened was over time, you know, if you just stay with it, don't get legalistic, but just stay with it. So what? If you eat that meal, so what? Start over. And I learned over time, it's like I used to always go, I'm starving. I'm starving. I can't can't go without a meal. Listen, I can go without some meals. Just look at me. I can go without some meals, man. Starvation for somebody like me is going to take about 35 to 40 days to happen. What that was is my stomach, when my stomach got empty, it sent a signal to my brain saying, hey, I'm empty. And I'm going, hey, I'm starving. No, I'm not starving. My stomach's just empty. And once I learned that, I'd say, hey, you're not starving. You're just, your stomach's empty. Just move on. You know, just that little bit of knowledge helped me. To do, I've done everything from one-day fast to 40-day fast after all those failures. So no matter where you are, it's a muscle you can build. Here's the thing. Some of you, you can't do water-only fasts diabetic, you're pregnant, whatever, you need medications that have to have food, you can't do that. But there's other ways you can jump in. So I would say if you want to do a water fast, here's my couple of points to you on a water fast. Simply number one, take your body weight, divide it in half, and drink that many ounces. You weigh 100 pounds, drink 50 ounces of water. Because here's the average American eats five or six pounds of toxins a year, and you're going to get some nasty headaches. As that stuff gets flushed out of your system, you better flush it. If you're 200 pounds, divide that in half, drink 100 ounces of water, but flush it out. Here's the second thing. If you're planning to do an extended water fast, I've learned from experience, you do water only long enough, and you can start kind of getting dizzy every time you get up and, and, you know, and what I would say is go to a health food store, go somewhere, buy some electrolytes and add it to your water. It'll keep you stable. Or add some fruit juice, you know, juice it yourself or buy something healthy. Don't, don't take a juice that has a bunch of sugar in it or orange juice or tomato juice, or stuff like that that's real acidic. Take something, you know, that can sustain you. Just maybe a little cup in the morning, a little cup at night. But again, it's all about what the focus is. It's not about how you do it. Some of you, your fast is just going to be, you can fast media. You can fast, you know, social media. You can fast some things that, you know, that phone is attached to. Listen, I'm in my 50s. The average person checks their phone 150 times a day. I think I'm one of them because I check my phone all the time. And some of you probably check it more than me. But I'm not saying we can't use our phones. I'm just saying let's just maybe cut back on those things. But again, I want God to lead you in how you're to do it, not me. Here's the other thing that many of us can do. It's just called the Daniel fast. What is the Daniel fast? It just says that he ate no meat and he, drank, he ate nothing pleasant. Like he cut out sweets and desserts and he cut out wine for us that would be pop or whatever. He cut out all the frills and he just had a basic diet that would sustain him and give him the energy that he needed to do his job throughout the day. And if you're overseeing a huge kingdom like he did, you need some energy. So the Daniel fast is sort of like a vegan fast in many respects. So whatever works for you, again, this is all about simply this. When you say no to one appetite, you're saying yes to another and what you give up going to make room for you to fill up. And here's what I got to say to you. This church is about to do some incredible things this year. This church, for the first time in its history, is about to launch a campus, in Boardman, about to launch a traditional campus. There's a lot of things that we could do in our flesh and with our own effort and still fall flat on our face. We need God, and this is a great time for us as a church to fast and pray, so that God will do the impossible that he will get the glory. God loves, and I know I'm going a little long here, but God loves impossible odds. You know that? God would be great in Vegas because, listen, when Gideon had an army of 30,000, God said, I don't like those odds. God had to get it from 30 down to 300. He's like, yeah, now we're talking. Listen, the greater the the problem and and the greater the trial, the more glory God gets out of it all. So at the end of the day, that's what we want to happen. So I'm going to pray for you in a second, and let me just tell you what we're going to be doing. The next three Wednesdays following, we're going to be here together as a church. We're going to come together, and we're going to pray on Wednesday nights. The first Wednesday that we pray, which is next Wednesday, our focus is going to be breakthrough. We're going to focus on God giving us breakthrough uh, in different areas of our life, our family, our finances, our spiritual growth, direction for callings, etc. The next week, we're going to Pray for revival, for God to move in our church, our city, our country, to pray for our friends, our loved ones, governments, for the harvest, for all the outreaches that we're going to do. And then the final one, you know, we haven't landed completely on that, but we might just call that a free-for-all, where we have a night where we just let God lead us and we bring the topics in the moment as we pray. And so we want to encourage you to be here for those, those nights. I mean, it's so powerful. It is powerful when you pray alone, but I'll tell you what. God does something amazing when you pray corporately. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.